go. More people are here than I thought would be here this morning, not because of the weather, but because I was teaching. Um, what what makes, my, makes me kind of chuckle is that when Janet called in last year and asked if I would consider teaching, and she said the words, John 12, and before she ever got anything else, my answer was going, yes, 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 I'll teach, I'll teach, because I love every chapter that gives attention to Mary because we always find Mary at the feet of Jesus. And so um, I knew that God had already primed my heart because I've spent time looking at Mary's life. And I want to just share that from God's Word with you this morning besides what we're going to look at in John 12, what we'll read in a moment. But this wonderful gospel that we've been looking at since last year is the last gospel that was written. Three had already been written, and so the Holy Spirit moved on John to write this last gospel. One more needed to be said because of what was going on at that time. The Gnostics, which were um, the heritage of the Greek culture and the Rome culture, were coming against what the truth of Jesus was because they could not believe that there was anything good in matter. So they could not see how this, that God could take on flesh and be physical and uh, not be all involved in sin. So they were disputing the truth of who Jesus was. And so uh, John has returned. This is so interesting to find out. John is, has aged. He's over 90 years old when he's writing this gospel. He's already spent time on Patmos. He's written Revelation, and now God has given him the assignment to write the last gospel. And as he maps out to show everybody, this is who Jesus is. And so everything through this book is to make people know who Jesus was. And at the very end of the book, he says, I write these things that you may know that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. And by believing on him, you'll have life in his name. So that's the beauty of the gospel that y'all have been led to read it, to take us through this year. <clears throat> and so for you just to see the way John breaks out, the first 11 chapters of this book cover the, the three years of ministry that Jesus had. So one through chapter 11, and we're gonna start in chapter 12. Chapter 12 to the end of the book is the last week of Jesus. So you see how much focus goes to each. And so um, the chapter that we're gonna look at follows the amazing chapter that we studied last year, and uh, which covers the uh, raising of Lazarus from the dead. And Mary believed, many believed, because of that very miracle. But that caused the religious leaders to, walk, to want to put Jesus to death. That very deed is what made them serious about ending his life. So we see that in the, if we were to review the chapter that we just left last year, it's so hot because of that miracle that Jesus left that territory and went away to let things kind of cool down. <clears throat> 
So there's a gap between chapter 11 and chapter 12 where we're going to pick up today. And people are on their way going to the, to the Passover. And as they're traveling, uh, they don't know it, but this is the final week of Jesus, the final week of his ministry. And so he too, who has been away, comes back because Passover is going on. And he is going to go to the last Passover because he's the Passover lamb. And uh, so he's with the same family that he was with before he left that area. On the, uh, the interesting thing, this time, the last time he was with this family that he loved so dearly was a funeral. And this time, it's a wonderful dinner that everybody's having together because he raised Lazarus from the dead. So this dinner party is a pretty big deal. Lazarus was there. Can you imagine? And so as they sit together, here's who's there. Uh, Lazarus is there and his two sisters. Jesus is there with the 12 disciples. And the other Gospels let us know that it is in the house of Simon the leper. So we should say Simon the healed leper because nobody would be sitting at a table eating with a leper in those days. So that's who's in this room and there may be other people poking their heads in. And uh, the purpose of this dinner was to honor Jesus for what he had done, to thank him because they had witnessed and the man that had been raised from the dead was there. Hallelujah. Amen. So they were showing a grateful heart and they didn't know that this was going to be the last week of his life. But there we can imagine Jesus knew and we can imagine what his emotions were like as he's meeting with these dear friends and they're trying to thank him for what he was demonstrating that he was who he was. So let's read um, John chapter 12. And as I read this, just listen and just pay attention to who all's involved in this grateful dinner. So six days, verse one, <coughs> before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples, he was about to betray him, said, Why was that ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this, not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put in it. And Jesus said, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have with you, but you do not always 
have me. When the large crowd of Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came, not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well, because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away believing in Jesus. So John gives us a timetable that it is six days before the Passover, and he's letting us know that Jesus is at a dinner given for him, and he and Lazarus are reclining together at the table. And uh, I want you to pay attention to two words that describe Martha. Martha served. That's all that needed to be said at that time. Because you see, it shows that Martha has come a long way from the first recording of what scripture wrote about her service. And it's a very familiar story that we have um, the first time that it, it, that it is recorded is in Luke 10. And if you remember that there was another dinner party and Martha was serving, but with an attitude. She, uh, <laughs> she came uh, up to the Lord and, and she was so upset with her sister because she wasn't helping. And she said, Lord, don't you care that I'm serving alone? Tell her to help me. Well, she'd gotten upset in the process of doing everything to make sure everything's okay for everybody, the flowers right, or the food right. She was stressed out. And so Jesus never said, never said that serving wasn't important. You see, service, serving, is one of the spiritual gifts that we get in the family of God. So it's a beautiful gift, but Martha was letting the service kind of temper her, and I think that happens a lot of times to people that are the servants. They kind of get put out that not everybody's helping them, and, and so Martha was. And so Jesus says these words to her. He just simply points out that in her service, she was distracted. She was anxious. She was troubled about many things. So at this juncture of scripture, we see Martha's come a long way because it just simply says, Martha served. So don't forget that term to see the growth of what Martha was doing. She was serving the Lord. That was her way to worship at this point because she understood more who he was. And so in her way, Martha served because she was worshiping Jesus. Now the next one that we want to take note of is in verse 2, Lazarus. And we see the picture of Lazarus and Jesus reclining together at the table. The, uh, this dinner that was given because Lazarus had been raised from the dead. And this dinner was to honor Jesus, to thank him for what he had done. The last time that we see Jesus and Lazarus encounter time together was when Jesus spoke to a four-day-old corpse and he said, Lazarus, come forth! And Lazarus rose from the dead. And so can you imagine 
sitting there with the one who is the resurrection and the life, carrying on a conversation. So I can't even imagine what they were talking about, but scripture lets us know because of that deed, many believed in Jesus because of Jesus raising him from the dead. But I want us to get a picture of what it was like as they were sitting at the table it says that Lazarus is reclining with the Lord. And that word reclining means that they're on the floor. They're not sitting at a table. They're on the floor and they reclined on their left side with the head towards the table and their feet away from the table. And this is important for us to have a visual in our mind when we see what Mary does. So, um, uh, I want to skip to verse 9 that says, When a large crowd of Jews learned, learned that Jesus was there, they came not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom, they, whom he had raised from the dead. So Lazarus is kind of a celebrity at this point. I mean, my goodness, he was dead and then he's alive, so people were drawn to come and see this specimen of the power of God that took someone out of the darkness of death and brought them back alive. So I just think we would have been probably in the crowd, and in those days the windows didn't have glass on them, the doors were open, and they knew that Jesus was there, and so they may have just stepped in, and there, the room was full of people, and they probably would have wanted to go up and ask him what we would have liked to have asked is, what was it like to be dead and then come alive again? And then you're sitting with the one that had all the power to do this. So um, when we see that Lazarus is there with Jesus and that many people are believing because of this, the problem was that the religious leader was going to put both of those men out, they thought. They were gonna kill Jesus and they were gonna kill Lazarus. Um, but as we continue this lesson next week, when Jesus makes a procession, when Jesus is going in that procession into Jerusalem because of the Passover and the crowds are there, you'll pay attention that some of the people in that crowd are the ones who are so enamored that Jesus was raised from the dead. And you're going to see what they did while they're in the crowd. What did they do? Now then verse 3, we're going to skip and skip on down to verse 4 and, and go to uh, Judas uh, because we're going to say Mary for the last since she's the highlight of this whole chapter. And it's, uh, as we look at Judas, he is the one who objects to what Mary has done, which we know is a pouring of the ointment. And Judas is nothing but a thief. He pilfers the money bag for himself. So he brings a negativity into the environment of what Mary had done, and he criticizes. And he says that, what Mary had done, and she just wasted on Jesus, that it could have been given to the poor. Uh, he lets us know, or John lets us know that Judas with his calculation knew that what she poured out was a year's wages 
that's a lot of money to just pour out. So as he brings criticism in, who could object to somebody saying, it would have been better used on the poor? I don't know about you, but are there times that you see money going out or you're asked to give money? There might be a little, I have to be honest with you, kind of a little critical, judgmental attitude, not knowing how God is leading the planning of giving. And we think, hmm, that could have been used better over here or over there, that we are kind of have a little spirit like that. And so um, to say that's too much of what you're doing on the Lord. But we're starting to see in this chapter the character of Judas because John is starting to give us a sketch of who he is, what kind of man he was. And here's the main reason that Judas criticized Mary. Mary was demonstrating her love for Jesus. That was something Judas did not have. And so because he didn't have it, he was able to be critical. But I want to warn us, and I'm sure you've experienced it, but there are people out there around you, maybe in your family, that don't understand your love for Jesus, and they will criticize you. So just remember Mary, what she did. And she took that criticism, and you don't see any rebuffing back. She just loved Jesus. And Jesus said these words as he rebukes Judas. He says, leave her alone. Leave her alone. So we finally get to Mary. I am going to have enough time. <laughs> um, Mary is mentioned three times in Scripture. And the first time that we encounter Mary is the Holy Spirit has an author of one of the Gospels record her was in Luke. And we see her where? She is seated at the feet of Jesus. She's low down. She's looking up. She's focusing. She's beholding the Savior of the world. So she's looking up and she's listening to Him. So just being in his presence was enough for her. She just realized how beautiful he was, how his words were sweeter than honey and the honeycomb, and she listened to our Lord, loving him. So Jesus, Mary had chosen, as, as the word explained, Mary chose the necessary thing the one thing that would not be taken from her. She listened to Jesus' word. So Mary's example, I believe, shows the Christian church what we need to be doing. I think a lot that are under that umbrella of believers or church members or who looks like they're a Christian, they think, okay, I got saved by the blood of Jesus. I believe in that. I'm going to get to go to heaven but they never behold him. They never spend time with him. They never listen to him. So this is something we have to choose is to sit and listen. But there are those that are out there 
that may not even really fit under that umbrella. They don't want to listen. They've got their own mind made up, what they want to believe, how they want to do, so they just plug their ears. They don't want to spend time. And then there's others that the busyness of life takes them away from time spent with just Jesus, nothing else, no distractions, listening, taking that one thing, choosing that cannot be taken from us. So we are, as we leave this first mention, just keep in mind that listening was what Mary did. She stayed near him. And so as we compare what Luke tells us, one was listening. We're going to compare Martha and, and Mary. One was listening. One was not. One was near him. One was not. I mean, my goodness, that was God Almighty in the house with them. One wanted to be near him. And then one was at rest. The other was not. So we have to be careful that we don't let our time be robbed and that we choose to spend time listening to him, spending time just adoring him. Then there's another time that Mary is mentioned, and the second time I'd like to bring, we had studied last year in uh, John 11, when Lazarus had died, the Lord arrives, Martha rushes out to meet him, and they kind of have a theological discussion. As Mary says, I know, Lord, I know that Lazarus will be resurrected at the end of the age. But uh, she never considered who she really considered who she was talking to, and this is when the Lord was able to bring forth the marvelous truth. I am the resurrection. I am the life. So as there, I nearly missed this when I went back over the, the sections of scripture that deal with Mary and what follows the conversation that Jesus had with Martha. Martha goes back to Mary and told her this. The teacher is here and he's calling you. Oh my, do you get it? Do you get it? Jesus was looking for Mary. Where's Mary? Where's Mary? So the Son of God had asked that question. Where is the one who chooses to sit at my feet and listen to me and spend time with me so uh, Mary came. She knew that the Lord was looking for her. And where do we find Mary? When she sees him, she runs up to him and she falls. She falls at his feet. Mary may not have understood everything, but she had sat at his feet and she had heard him teach. She was blinded by everything that was going around her both times before when in that house with all the people, where was she? At his feet, not distracted by everything that was going on around her. And then here she is in her grief, bowing before the Lord Almighty. So you can see why she was so special to Jesus. 
So now here in this chapter, we see that Mary takes a very expensive ointment and it's made from nard. And so the commentaries let us know that that word means that it is uh, something that is extracted and, and uh, is imported from India. And it was marvelous smelling. How expensive was it? We learned already that what Mary poured out out of a little alabaster jar, which would have been the size of one of our Coca-Cola cans in an alabaster jar that she threw it, she poured it over him, over his feet. But Bethany, something else I found out, is that it was a poor city and not rich people lived there. More impoverished people lived in Bethany, which was just a couple miles out of Jerusalem. So they weren't wealthy people. And we don't know how she got it, why she got it, what she was going to do with it. But she did something daring. She did something that it did not matter how much it cost or why she had it or what had previously been planned for it. She poured it out on Jesus' feet because of her love and adoration. It wasn't the cost at all that was in her mind. She did something else that was rather daring. She let her hair down. That was a custom that the women in that society did not do. So she did not hold back anything. She didn't hold back the expense. She didn't hold back what other people thought of her as she took the headgear off. So she, uh, what she did signaled something that the scriptures let us know the Lord knew. She was anointing him because of the upcoming burial of our Lord. She may not have understood fully what she was doing, but she's the one who sat at his feet. She's the one who heard him. And I'm sure she heard him refer to the reality that he was going to die because he knew where he was on God's time clock. And chapter 14, start, 13 starts out with, he knew his hour had come. Always before through the book of John, it says, my hour has not come, my hour has not come. But he knew this last week his hour had come. Well, she didn't know why she was doing it, except she knew he was going to die. And so she's anointing him before his burial, where we have records of women who anoint him after he had died. So Jesus looks at those who have criticized her, and he says, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. Now I'm going to close with one more beautiful thing that happened to Mary as Mary anointed. Let's just imagine we're in that room and she pours out this marvelous smelling fragrance of the nard, the ointment. And John records that the house was filled with the aroma of what that little jar, the fragrance was. In other words, Mary's hands Mary's hair smelled like what Jesus smelled like. And Jesus smelled like 
what Mary smelled like. And the people in the room were taken in by that odor. The sweet smell of intimacy affected everyone at that dinner. So there's a verse that Paul wrote under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in 2 Corinthians 2. He says, for we are the aroma of, God, of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one we have the fragrance from death to, life, to death. To the other we have the fragrance of life. So I believe that Jesus is looking for the same kind of heart in men. This isn't just for women. He's looking at the heart. And so um, Mary was an ordinary woman. She never preached a sermon. But boy, do the, do the scriptures ever broadcast what pleased the Lord and what her relationship was with them. And she stole the heart of Jesus. So um, I was going back over, as Matthew recorded, this section, and I trust that it will speak to your heart the same way that it spoke to mine. Because Matthew records uh, that the anoint, the, uh, Matthew records the same event of the nard, the ointment being uh, poured over Jesus, and Matthew ties it to what she has done to the gospel. The gospel message is in this. So listen to the words of the Lord as Mary is criticized from Matthew 26. Jesus says, in pouring out the ointment on my body, she has done it to prepare for my burial. She knew I was going to die. And again, she had listened to his word that she knew that. So she's anointing him for his death, and he knew that. And here's the verse. Here's the verse that just gripped my heart. He continues as he says, Truly, I say to you, where the gospel is proclaimed, the good news of the one who came to die for our sin but lives today because he's the resurrection and the life. And he brings those from death, from the darkness to life. Truly, I say to you, where the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. So Mary's life teaches us the embodiment of the first commandment. Love the Lord. Love the Lord with all our hearts. Spend time with Him. Show, your, show our love and devotion. Let Him talk to us through His Word. Listen to what He has to say. And let's not take our eyes off of Him. Keep looking up. He's going to come back soon. And so keep watching and waiting and listening and adoring and spending time with him. So as we leave this place, just go back and think of the main characters and find out 
where your heart is. Are you a Martha serving because you love the Lord? Are you a covenant friend because the blood of Jesus and the resurrection that you were delivered out of darkness into his marvelous light? Are you like Judas that is a pretender and you're around all the spiritual things but you're not really loving or caring about the truth of who the Lord is? Or do you have a heart like Mary that doesn't care what society thinks, what it costs, what others think? You're going to demonstrate and hold true to how you love the Lord Jesus. Do you want me to close in prayer? Father, how grateful we are for your word. We're so privileged. Your voice is heard in your word. You speak through your word to our hearts. You tell us that your word is sharper than any two-edged sword and that it gets down in that depth of place of our being that no doctor's scalpel, no medicine can divide. Only your spirit can reveal that inside of our soul and our spirit. And so we thank you of this account of Mary and how she sat listening to you. And Lord, you present your word not just for us to know what went on historically, but we just trust that you know the hearts of every one of us here and that in your way and your power and with that sharpness of your word that you've spoken, one over here to the other over there, it doesn't matter. You've spoken to what you know is going on inside our hearts. For that we are grateful and we know it's because of Jesus. We want to behold him more. We want to hold close. We want to listen to him in these days that you sovereignly have us alive. In his name I pray, amen.